once you realize the sky's the limit or once you realize the capacity that you have, it's like a man, careful what you realize. Yeah. Like now that I know the decision to go run five miles feels like I'm not pushing myself. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I am so excited for you to hear today's episode. It's hands down one of the best episodes that we have ever released because I'm sitting down with my friend, Dave Hollis, husband to Rachel Hollis, and we are going to jam on how to support powerful women. You see, Dave is the CEO of The Hollis Company, and incredible husband to Rachel Hollis, the famous author of Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing and all the other incredible things that you see the Hollis is doing. Now, before he came home to join Rachel in building the Hollis company, he had an incredible career. He had experience in publicity and talent management and marketing and brand management, retail, like you name it. In mostly all in the motion picture industry for some of the biggest brands in the world, such as Disney. Now, Dave and Rachel have four kids, and yet they still find a way to run one of the largest self-development brands in the world. And so you can bet that we are going to do a deep dive on how they make all of that work and how they keep their relationship a priority and being a great parent a priority while having this explosive growth. You know, we're going to get real and, and go real deep on what it's like is for us as men to support such powerful women and what's insecurities we've had to overcome in order to do so. As a matter of fact, Dave tells a great story about how he almost talked Rachel out of publishing Girl, Wash Your Face, which by the way, has now gone on to sell almost 4 million copies. Can you imagine? So it's not always roses when we're trying to support our loved ones in business. We also chat about our coping mechanisms. You know, being in the spotlight and running big brands is no joke. And you're going to hear what Dave learned about himself by giving up his coping mechanism, drinking, for one entire year. One of the things I love about them most is, is their love and, and their common ethos that they share with us for philanthropy. And Dave not only sits on the board for Austin Angels, a foster care charity, even better, they have now started their own foundation, which you'll hear about towards the end. And I think is wildly important the way they're using their platform for good. It represents everything that this show is all about. But quite honestly, one of the best parts of the interview is when we talked about Dave's new book, Get Out of Your Own Way, and the challenges that he had personally in releasing his own book and standing in the spotlight and telling his very vulnerable stories. And yet he knew it was important for him to release it and tell these stories anyway. And you're going to absolutely love what some of these stories represent and, and the way that they're going to change your life. Also in this episode, Dave and I talk about how they grew their business in the past year from just four employees to over 50 employees this year. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the business you have right now? If you have a couple of employees to all of a sudden exploding to over 50 employees this year, well, he goes on to explain that he wouldn't have been able to help create this explosive growth without participating in a mastermind. And that's why Lori and I are such huge proponents of masterminds. Get yourself into a mastermind. It's a must. It's the shortcut to all of the business goals that you have because everything, if it's a good one, should be in that room or at least one introduction away from the people that are in that room. Now, as you know, we run two masterminds and our elite level mastermind is the one that is for people who are making over $500,000 a year. Most people in that mastermind have crossed the seven-figure mark already, but it's for anybody who's making over $500,000 a year and wants to learn all of the secrets that we've used 
and wants to learn all of the secrets that our very high-level friends use to propel yourself into the multiple seven-figure income range, if not eight figures. Now, if you want to be in this very elite tribe, this very private family that we put together once per year, and you make over $500,000, then I want you to go immediately to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. Everything you need to know is right there. All of your questions are answered right there. But here's the best part. At the bottom is an application, a quick few questions. And if this is for you, if you're curious and you want to jump on the phone with me and talk about it, then fill out that quick application. That'll put you on the waiting list because we are getting very close to enrolling this elite level mastermind for the upcoming 2020 year. So go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind, click on the application, fill out the questions, and you and I will jump on the phone to make sure it's a perfect fit for the both of us. I cannot wait to see who ends up in this elite level mastermind fam that we put together once a year. So again, fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. Check it out there. All your questions are there. All right. So get ready, listen up, and be incredibly present because this episode, sitting down with Dave Hollis, hands down, delivers so much value that I can promise you that your life is about to significantly change for the better. Here we go. Dave, my friend, thank you for being on the show. It is an absolute honor. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for asking me on this show, Chris. It's uh, really a pleasure to be here. Oh, man. I'm so excited for this. So all of my guests typically start with a rapid fire. It's a fun way for the listeners to get to know you in a hurry. And if something really good comes up, I promise we'll circle back around and address it. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right, man. We're going to start real easy. Where'd, where'd you grow up? San Clemente, California. And where do you live now? Austin, Texas. Man, everyone's moving to Austin. So good. What's your favorite quote? Oh my goodness. Uh, the quote that I, it's come to mind, and it's a, I'm living it in real time. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep from Robert Frost. Man, that's amazing. I love it. What's one of your superpowers? <laughs> one of my superpowers that also doubles as one of my worst qualities is my pragmatic, practical brain. Uh, in part because I am partnered with someone who is an amazing dreamer, visionary, creative. And so it as a superpower to balance her audacity is something that uh, is, I think, part of why we're having the success that we're having in real time. Yeah, that's actually like one of the keys to to success, right? Because you guys are covering each other's bases there. What's one of your favorite books? Mindset. From Carol Dweck was a big one. I am a recovering fixed mindset human being. And so the pursuit of everything we are up to now and a full version of me started with getting out of my own way in how I had this limited fixed view of what was possible for my life. And that book was transformative. That's interesting. I've heard of it. I'm definitely going to put it on my list. A couple more here. What's one thing you're challenged by right now? I am challenged by the uh, want to pursue everything that is being like, uh, our, there's more incoming phone calls, more doors uh, are being knocked on than us having to knock on them, which is super, super exciting. What a blessing, high, high class problem. But um, the challenge of knowing how to focus on the things that will return the most value, how to get the best return on time or capital investment in the short term. And frankly, scaling our team because we are in real time trying to catch up a little bit because of some opportunity. And so how to find the right people, get them on the bus, but then even maybe more importantly, getting them in the right seats on the bus. So um, that was a long multi-answer. It might, you might have to yeah, but a, for but that Yeah, but a one. legit one, man. I feel you on all that. Uh, a couple more here. Something generous you've done recently. We... Uh, Announced on stage at our recent conference that we started a foundation. So we are committed as a company to have 10% of the profit from this company going into a foundation that will, for three areas that we are super, super passionate about, kids, especially kids in care as people who have an adopted daughter and previously were four-time foster parents, women, uh, but particularly women coming out of crisis, 
and the military, people who are active duty, veterans, or spouses of active duty or, or veterans. Uh, so we're going to have the Hollis Foundation as a thing that will, on the regular, be showing up well uh, and taking people who are interacting with us and hopefully having them feel like they are complicit in helping uh, us show up well for them. You know, this this ethos of giving and generosity is something that I know we share as couples, so we're totally going to address that before the end of this um, podcast and ask more about awesome. that. Last but not least, what are you grateful for today? I am grateful for... Uh, I'm grateful for my CFO today. This is a bizarre thing, but we are in the middle of our 2020 planning. And I have her eight weeks now on this job. And the vision I had for what it might be like to plan how each of our businesses forecast their year and go down into super, super detail is a thing that in real time, I'm walking out of budget meetings and it is a testament to this human Kristen, if you're listening, <laughs> you're my favorite child. I am so happy that she is on this team right now. So I have a lot of gratitude because it's budget planning season here at the Hollis Co. And we are getting into it. Oh, man. I love it. Where would we be without our people, by the way? It's for real. We wouldn't be anywhere. Oh, tell me about it. Wouldn't be anywhere without our teams and especially without our incredible spouses. So I actually want to start with talking about our spouses a little bit. Um, I want to start with you know, something that's very important to me, a moment that we both share. I'm not even sure that you know this, but you and I both share this moment where we kind of had to choose which direction we were going to go. A moment where we were faced with like either stepping up or, or stepping out, so to speak. So talk to me about this pivotal moment when you and Rachel were in Hawaii and she basically said something along the lines of, and I'm going to paraphrase, hey, I'm going to start growing myself every single day, whether you're on board or not. And I'm afraid that if you're not on board, one day we're going to wake up and we might not be compatible anymore. Do you remember this moment? Uh, for the rest of my life, I will remember this moment. It was the hardest and most important and, and, and honestly, the conversation in our relationship I am most grateful for. Uh, just to give a little bit of context for what led to that conversation, there were three factors in life that were come together uh, I was on this weird bridge between 30 and 40. At like 38, 39, I started asking some bigger existential questions of why the heck I was on this planet, why I'd been given the potential I had been given, but wasn't feeling like I was in a position to necessarily have to fully utilize it, why I felt as underfulfilled as I seemingly felt at that point in time, despite the fact that I had from the outside a title and a job at a company that was the envy of other humans and was something that other people had put on a pedestal. And so I, so I have this weird like midlife thing happening. Wow. I am nearing the end of my time at the Walt Disney Company where I spent 17 years of time working on the movie business, the last seven of which I was the head of sales for the studio, putting movies in theaters. And uh, after I just received the job, uh, Pixar was a part of what was acquired by the Walt Disney Company. Two years later, Lucasfilm, sorry, Marvel Studios was acquired. And then two years later, Lucasfilm. And so the collection of brands, the greatest leadership, the quality of the teams, the greatest storytellers on earth, they came together in what seemed like the best thing that you could ever hope for as the head of sales, but in fact worked against me because it required me to work not as hard, use less of my talent to be more successful than I'd ever been in my entire life. And the incongruence of me having to try and get the reward, whether it was salary or accolades, whatever it was, made me feel a real sense of un unfulfillment, underfulfillment. And my wife, Rachel Hollis, has entered a season where she has decided that personal development, personal growth is the number one commodity in her life. She has decided to pursue it because she is experiencing the fruit of growth and understands in a way that I did not yet understand the tie between growing and being fulfilled. And so as a contrast on a spectrum, she is every single day jumping out of bed, excited about what she's doing, pursuing the passion of her heart, running towards impact, getting up each day to become a better version of herself than she was yesterday, while I am descending every day into a less great version of myself as a parent, as a husband. And it leads to this conversation where she, in fact, as you say, says, look, 
I'm going to grow every day. I'm going to do it regardless of whether you choose to come with me on this, this growth journey or not. And if I do and you, though you've convinced yourself you're treading water, you're drowning, continue to drown while I soar, in three months, will we still go on our weekly date night? In six months, will we still make out? In a year, will we still go on dates at all? And in three years, will we still be married? And I'll spoil the ending for you, Dave. We will not still be married if the trajectory we are on is something that continues. And it was a punch to the gut. It was the kind of thing that jars you from your chair. And it was exactly what I needed to create the leverage, to act as the catalyst, to decide to start showing up in my life and to do something drastic to take control of a thing that I'd at that point in time thought was in control of other forces in, 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 you know, outside of my control. This is amazing. And thanks for your vulnerability around this. You know, it sounds like it did not take you by surprise, by the way, because it didn't take me by surprise when Lori and I had to, to have these moments. And I think what everyone's probably wondering right now is what was going through your mind when you sat down in Hawaii and this came out of her mouth? What was your very first thought? Uh, I mean, it was it was a, a big old shame sandwich, you know, like I was embarrassed for having let myself become this version of who I'd become that I wasn't as proud of. I had had we'd been married. We, we've been married now for about 15 years. But for, you know, 10, 11 years, we had a great marriage. We had, you know, we now have four kids at the time. I think we had just adopted our daughter. So we had three kids, just had, you know, became four kids. And we had a great, rich marriage. And I hit a funk. I hit a season where things started coming so easy for me professionally that the underfulfillment of a job that, again, other people had put on this pedestal was bleeding into how I was showing up for myself in, in my personal life. And as much as I, I don't think I was aware of like truly how bad things had gotten until she played the role I needed most in my life, which was someone to hold up a mirror, someone to be an accountability partner, someone who cared uh, enough about me and believed, frankly, more in me than I did in myself in that moment to take control of my life and make the changes that I inevitably ended up making. And she did it even though it was hard, even though we'd historically been in somewhat of a codependent relationship that didn't like to make the other feel uncomfortable, she knew the stakes were high enough that if she wasn't willing to wade into and embrace the discomfort and just frankly get comfortable with being uncomfortable for a length of time, that it might come at the expense of us still being married. Yeah. And that, man, like even like saying it now, it, it's, it, it was not that long ago. You know, like if you're listening right now and you're stuck, and you're believing the lie that your stuckness is the thing that's got to last for the next decade, that's a lie that you have decided to believe. And it is not true. Because I had the hardest conversation of my life three years ago, and then left the Walt Disney Company, moved my family, went into work with my wife, pursued the things that might tap fully into my potential, pushed myself outside of my comfort zone, decided to have impact be my North Star. And in a year and a half, in two years, I went from the lowest point in my life to the highest point in my life. It's absolutely incredible. You know, I, I had this moment about four and a half years ago, and that's when I chose to read 30 books in 30 days because I knew I needed to, to up-level and snap out of my funk. Like, I, I remember you once saying, I heard it somewhere, you know, everything was good. You were being a good husband and a good dad, but your family deserved great. They deserved extraordinary. And we all kind of live with this concept that we've heard before that good is the enemy of great, right? And obviously you took action. Everybody knows that the outcome today is, is you guys are absolutely soaring. But what do you think the one or two actions or beliefs that you personally had to change in that moment were? Well, one, I, I really had to get into a routine and a habit pattern that engineered my life for the kind of success I, I said I wanted, right? Like I said, I wanted to be an exceptional father. I said, I wanted to be an exceptional husband, but I, I hadn't actually gamed the system in my favor to afford those exceptional visions of my life to come true. And so I had to become 
disciplined with morning routine. I had to become disciplined with working out. I had to become disciplined with what I eat. I had to stop drinking altogether. I had to, like I had to do things because what's interesting is I am not like my wife in almost any way. And if you're in a partnership, you're probably more unlike than you are like the person that you're with. My wife is motivation machine unicorn, right? She has this internal motivation thing that exists in her that has her jumping out of bed, ready to go do every single thing. And I don't have that. So when I decide I want to have an exceptional life, my motivation, people say, how are you motivated? How do you get out and run? I've run 200 miles in the last month. How do you run as much as you run? I just go do it. Even though I don't want to, even though I'm not motivated to, I had to decide these are the habits I need to institute and be religious about if I'm interested in actually having the life that I say I'm interested in having. So that was the first big thing. The second thing was I had to tap into the leverage of visualizing not doing the things that I now currently do. And some people can tap into leverage. It's like, ooh, I can dream what my future version of me is going to look like. And that positive thing creates leverage that is motivating. Not me. I needed to create leverage in the opposite way, visualizing the the like outcome that would have happened if I didn't take the action that would have resulted in me now being where I am. I was I, I can remember so clearly a day where I was sitting out back with my kids. We played this game regularly of, hey, you can ask any question while we're enjoying the hot tub. And my, at the time, eight-year-old son asks me a very innocent, what are you most afraid of? And my answer, it just fell out of my mouth. He's looking for spiders or scorpions or something like that, like an, eight, an eight-year-old might. And I said, I was afraid of not living up to my potential. And in that moment, it planted a seed that became for me as I was thinking about what continuing to descend into a less version of myself as a dad, less version of myself as a husband, as a man, as a contributing person in society, what it might mean for my three boys who at the time were five, eight, and nine, as they were 18 years in the future, sitting at my 60th birthday party raising a glass, talking about what they are proud of in their dad while celebrating my milestone birthday. Wow. And I'm thinking, okay, I've just told you in this hot tub that I am most frightened of the possibility of not living up to the potential that our creator has put into my being. While I am, as I sit here, not actually tapping into it at all, And I realize now that if I continue in this posture, the conversation that happens at that dinner 18 years from now is one that I will be then overwhelmed with regret in hearing your report. Mm. So I'm going to tap into that. I'm going to tap into even like sitting with Rachel and having that brutal conversation. I had to tap into visualizing with clear detail the pain of what exchanging our four kids every other weekend might feel like. What an overweight, unshaven, not sober version of me who can't look himself in the mirror without feeling shame would feel like relative to taking the opposite action and actually becoming this person that I know in my bones I can become. Wow, that's, that's incredible. I can't imagine what that felt like to take yourself there and visualize what that looks it's like brutal. feels like it's, <laughs> it's brutal but it's powerful right and yeah. by the way thank god for the innocent questions that kids ask right they're One, they're not absolutely. afraid to ask anything and they're probably the questions that get us to have these aha moments the most i'm guessing absolutely it's i i ended up getting this tattoo in my arm as i started this journey a couple years back this was my quote i only have the tattoo now for like 6 months but a ship in harbor is safe but that's not what ships are built for. So, and I, right. So like I got it because I now have created the leverage. I now have created some of the habits, but I needed to also have an appreciation for what the commitment was going to mean. Right. So now I'm making this choice. I'm going to leave 
the president of distribution at the Walt Disney Studios. I'm going to move my family from Los Angeles to Austin, Texas. I am going to join my wife in the pursuit of impact in this company. And I am going to leave certainty, a thing that I had clung to for the entirety of my adult life, for uncertainty, because as now it's written on my arm, I, one, am built for it. I'm, I am a ship built for the waves who had spent the last, you know, call it six years of my life clinging to a harbor that I thought was the answer to happiness, that I thought was the answer to what other people wanted from me, that I thought was the answer to how society was going to measure my worthiness or worth, but that was actually acting as the impediment for growth, was actually acting as the impediment for fulfillment. And I needed it on my arm to remind myself that the answer lies in the waves. Yeah. Right. So if I want to go and have this life, great. I've got the habits. If I want to go and have this life, I've got to think of the alternative of not having it. Great. I've got the leverage. But I also have to appreciate that the like opting in is me choosing to become comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Now, I mentioned as a part of my like habits and routines thing, like I am I'm in the midst of a year of not drinking and I and I'm going to be super honest about this too because this transition for me was one that tapped into every one of my coping mechanisms, among them having a drink at the end of a long day to round out the sharp edges of stuff. Yeah. But the disruptive nature of the identity shift and leaving Disney and what it meant for me to transition from primary breadwinner to Rachel becoming primary breadwinner, what it meant for me to embrace vulnerability as we talk really honestly now about basically everything. It was a trigger on a level I had not seen before. And my then coping mechanism went to a level that previously may have been healthy, but became unhealthy. And so, right, I was I was trying to keep myself from having to feel some of the discomfort of the ways, waves that I chose. I chose these waves. This is the only way to grow. This is the only way to be fulfilled. And then I decided to mute the impact of the waves with alcohol. I decided to mute the impact of the waves with long runs. I decided to mute the impact of the waves by withdrawing. And what I've come to realize now, the only way I can get the benefit of those waves, the only way I can get the fruit of that discomfort is to sit in it. And even though it sucks sometimes, even though it's hard sometimes, even though it triggers insecurity from some seventh grade rejection every once in a while, I have to sit in it to become a beneficiary of it. Ah, oh, Dave, this is so good. And and not to get on a huge conversation about alcohol, but it's it's funny because Lori and I will find these these moments where we look at each other, we say, Hey, you realize we've had a drink every night now for like two weeks. And then I'll tell her in full transparency, I'll say, Yeah. And I found myself today at like four o'clock saying, Ooh, I can't wait to see what my my drink will be tonight. And and relishing in that feeling, looking forward to that feeling. And so what we do is we'll say, All right, time for us to stop and we'll pick literally a two-week mark. Yeah. And we support each other and no drinks for those two weeks um, in order to kind of feel like we still have control because it's a slippery slope when you turn to... I love how you said just kind of rounding out the edges, right? Yeah. One thing that's interesting, this is not the point. Sorry, I'll let you get back to it. But I got to just say this because it's been a thing I did not think would come as a part of this experience of deciding to not drink for this year. I had a casual relationship with drinks for 20 years of my life where the you know we drink for 2 weeks I may have drank for 20 years okay like not like excessive drinking every night but casual drinking almost every night for about 20 years with the time so if you said to me hey Dave do you think you could uh, go for a year without drinking I would have told you there's no way there's so much muscle memory for me in drinking it's just a part of what I do I'm in control of it don't worry but I don't think I could not drink for that long because there's going to be a birthday, our 15th anniversary trip. There's going to be a thing where our friends come into town or we're going to celebrate some great success at work. I'm going to inevitably have to have some celebratory you know, breaks in that year. Now that I'm, I'm like five and a half or so months in, I do not crave the alcohol. But what it has done to my belief in my ability to do anything, and I literally mean anything, right? You say, hey, Dave, do you think you can? I don't care what the end of the sentence is. 
my ability to not drink for five, five and a half months because of what I thought about how hard it might be at the beginning has transformed the way I think about how hard it might be for me to do anything that I think might be hard. We just came back from this crazy, I mean, ridiculously crazy... Uh, 29.029? Yeah, we did the 29.029. I mean, it's we climbed Everest or Everesting. We climbed a mountain 13 times. I'm supposed to, to do that in October, by the getting, way. So I can't wait yeah. to hear your takeaway from this. I mean, okay, so... Going into it, it was it was stopping drinking, right? It was this thing that was bigger than anything we'd ever tried to bite off when it comes to endurance challenges. The idea of pushing yourself through a 36-hour challenge to climb 30,000 feet to climb to climb you know 30 miles into the sky at altitude, forget it. There's no way. And in the same way that I had that I can do anything feeling out of this decision that I made that I've held myself to, to not drink. When I made the decision that we're going to climb this mountain, we're going to do it 13 times, we're going to get, get it done inside of 36 hours. I came off that mountain. I can do anything. Wow. Literally. When it comes to physical challenges, I can do anything. I ran a half marathon on Sunday in our neighborhood. Do you want to know why? Why? Just because you could. Be- because I can do anything, Chris. I mean, like, I'm, that's not a brag. I'm saying, like, my previous thing that I did when I would run on a Saturday was I'm going to grab five miles. I'm like, why would I only run for 50 minutes when I just did 13 consecutive 90 minute workouts at altitude and it didn't get me? Yeah. God, that's incredible. That- How empowering. <laughs> I mean, the sky's the limit for you now. Yeah. I, well, the problem is once you realize that the sky's the limit or once you realize the capacity that you have, it's like a man, careful what you realize. Yeah. Like now that I know the decision to go run five miles feels like I'm not pushing myself. Why do I have a feeling I'm going to see you? Beauty. I'm going to see you next year side by side with Jesse Itzler doing the last man standing. There is a 0% chance. I was texting with him through the last man standing. <laughs> like you are, no, that you, there are limits, sir, to what you can actually convince me to do. This is the limit. <laughs> oh, I think my favorite part of that was watching Sarah in the support role. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. All right. So let's shift to um, this idea of the support role of a, of a spouse. You know, we're both married to incredible, successful, dynamic women doing really big things. What do you think is the key? to being a really great partner to a spouse or especially as a male to a very powerful woman? Oh man, so many things learning wise this last year. I mean, now that we work together and what was previously us as best friends together more than any other two people, like we're together all the time. Support is an interesting thing that has evolved over time. And we started with like, what's your superpower? Like interestingly, before we were working together, I thought I was being supportive in letting my pragmatism show up as a vehicle for managing her expectations because I didn't want her to get hurt when she, in her audacity of dreaming bigger than I could dream, would throw things out and I would try to reel her back in. And so, I, I mean, honestly, when she wrote Girl, Wash Your Face and I read it for the first time, I tried to talk her out of publishing it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's almost sold 4 million copies in the last wow. year and a half. Yeah, so that would have been a mistake. And luckily, she did not listen to me. But I thought I knew what was best for her being as honest and transparent as she decided to be in that book and how it might undermine the work we did for our adult lives to curate and make sure people thought everything was great. I mean, funny enough, I'm trying to convince her to have have us maintain this veneer. Well, I am definitely not great. I I appreciate the irony in in that. But um, there were plenty of times where I, I, I would try to try and keep her... My support showed up in the wrong kind of ways. My support now shows up in a different way, in part because of our working together. And it's... I appreciate that my first impulse as a pragmatist is how, and her first impulse as a visionary or a creative is what. Mm. So when she says, I've got an idea, old me was like, all right, as the words are coming from her mouth, let me see if I can't deconstruct the flaws in her vision in a way that takes something big and makes it a little more palatable so it's not as scary. 
which was the wrong way of supporting someone who's got vision. Oh, yeah. Now, when she says, I've got an idea, I actually, in my head, have to say to myself, hey, Dave, don't be a jackass. Listen to what she says. Let it come fully out. And take a minute before you try and explain why the way she's thinking may be challenged by convention, maybe challenged by relationships that we already have contractually, maybe challenged, whatever it is. She, like, my support for her now shows up in being a, a, a like a, a partner who can come alongside and marinate an idea as opposed to deconstruct or diagnose what's wrong with the idea. That's one. Two, I decided to leave something that for me had a business card, president of the distribution organization, the Walt Disney Company, and a salary and status and some connections inside of entertainment. A lot of validation, right? Right. So like a lot of like external, the world, the industry, my parents, the things I thought I needed to be as a man or society, my friends, right? There was a lot of stuff that was saying, you've done it. You've checked these boxes. You are good and worthy and thriving against these conditions that most people are held accountable, you know, as, you know, held, held, held as a standard. And the decision to come and support her was because I had to change what my drive was for instead of my drive being about how I could help me most. I had to think about what move might help create impact most. Right now, by the way, that was a thing that like a less mature version of me was not connected to and frankly, not motivated by. I was thinking about building my career, building my wealth, building my ability to provide for my family, building my status, playing to my ego. And when I hit that crazy bridge between 30 and 40, and I'm existential question full, what is my reason for being on this planet? The thing that I kept coming back to was impact. Mm. And when I could connect more to how fulfillment may come because of and through my ability to work in a space that might impact others, when I saw in my wife the way that she was going to create work that would impact people, the decision to support her became as much about wanting to be a good partner to my friend, to my lover, to my best everything in life, as much as it was to wanting to use the set of skills that I have as an operator, as a person who understands sales, as a person who gets into the stuff that she, frankly, didn't even love as a founder and entrepreneur for the 15 years that she had the business for, to support her making more great stuff that can have even a bigger impact. And so in our partnership, you know, by the way, she had to, as much as I wanted to come alongside and be supportive of her, she had to do something that was very humbling for her and hard for her because of uh, like ego is a very interesting thing for both of us in this transition, right? I'm leaving a place that has status for a place that we were going to make status over time. And she had to do the very difficult thing of un- like understanding that she needed someone who could come in as an operator for the business so that she could go and make more of her time in the creative space. And as a very proud and deservingly proud female founder and CEO of a company that she spent a decade and a half building, she was going to leave that CEO role for me just as the company was on the brink of tipping into something bigger. And so part of the way that I've had to be supportive, acknowledging what was her bigger concern, Dave's going to come in here and now the company's going to take off. And if in any way, the 15 years of blood and sweat equity that I put into this entrepreneurship journey now is attributed to him having joined, what will it mean for me? And how will I process that? And I go out of my way and I'm doing it in real time. Our success is a reflection of 15 years of work that my wife put in, the vision that she had to create what she has, and is now going to be taken to the next level by our partnership where we get to play on our strengths. Her creativity and my pragmatism come together to feed off of each other and act in some ways as gates against us tipping either of those into places where they could derail all of the momentum. 
It's incredible. What a powerful lesson about ego in there, right? Like the magic that magic that can happen when all of us set our ego aside. Uh, and the thing is, we had to be, uh, yes, the answer is yes, but we had to decide that the work we were going to do, the way we wanted to try and grow the company, the kind of impact we wanted to have was more important than our worrying about it being uncomfortable or hard for us to wade into a conversation about ego. And so we had to commit very early on in our coming together as partners in this business to radical candor in real time when something comes up that is not feeling right, if someone said something that like the other is receiving in a, in a bad way, we have to find a way to have a conversation so that we can before it festers in any way, before it becomes bigger, before it derails or like throws us into something that might make us have an emotional decision-making as opposed to rational, fact-based, informed decision-making. And guess what? It's been the hardest year of our marriage and the best year of our marriage yeah. because of this decision to every single time something comes up, we're, we're dealing with it head on. It's part of how we support each other. It's so funny how those go hand in hand. Lori and I have noticed that too. Sometimes the hardest year in our marriage is also the best year in our marriage. It's, it's yeah. really how those go hand in hand. Question for you. We're talking a lot about setting ego aside. Was there ever a time where you felt like Rachel Hollis's husband instead of the superstar that you are individually, and that is Dave Hollis. It's interesting. I left Disney thinking that I was coming into this role to be Rachel Hollis's husband, the CEO of her company. And it was only after I got into this that I saw... One, that I have a set of skills that I think actually plays really well as a complement to her teaching inside of the portfolio of the things that we bring to this audience. And two, that I really like it. Yeah. Right. So I came in thinking I might be Stedman. <laughs> and now I, I, you know, like I, I don't have the same kind of ambition that she might in us having Ellen and Oprah have a baby name at Rachel and you know like that be the thing right uh, that's not that's not like the kind of space that I'm trying to fill but I I have recognized certainly from the frequency of interacting with now our joint audience that you know I, the book I wrote is is uh, like I say it's, it's it comes through this lens of someone who is not motivated like my wife who did not have the mindset like my wife who was skeptical of her tools and as much as people are motivated and learn from her, they may not relate necessarily to the way that she is intrinsically motivated, to the way that she has growth mindset, that she has always been from Jump Street, a believer in tools to make you a better person. And so I think I'm an option, especially because our audience tends to be overwhelmingly female because of most of them having been Rachel's audience before they became you know, our audience or some of my audience. I am, I am, I think, approaching this as an opportunity for people who are wired like me to also think about getting out of their way through the lens of someone who has motivation or mindset challenges. And as a little bit of a Trojan horse for people who don't self-identify as being interested in self-help. Yeah. Because I was one of those people a year, like two years ago, right? Like I am a new convert to the idea that conferences and books and podcasts and therapy are things that people who are whole and healthy do, not just people who are broken. I had this crazy stigma that if you had to raise your hand for help or wanted to go to therapy or showed up at a conference that you were either broken or, or had been like duped into it. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. There's a whole population of people who think like I used to, and I think I can come alongside them and show them how ridiculous it is to think that way. Oh, man. Okay. I'm dying to ask you about this book, especially because I know that it was just a couple of years ago that you kind of thought that world was like charlatans, right? And, and yep. here you are, the, the superstars of that world. One question before I ask you about the book. I really need to ask, what are some of the hacks or non-negotiables that you guys have installed to protect your role as lovers and partners and great parents first and foremost, and not just become business partners? Yeah. Well, 
We don't have the like work stops after this time kind of rules because honestly, we have so much passion right now for the work that we're doing that the idea of not talking about some neat idea we have about, ooh, what if we recorded this thing? Or, hey, did you ever think about that? Feels inauthentic to frankly the way that like we're both like on fire for the work. So it's less about gating, oh, we can't talk about certain things after certain times. It's more about actually game planning a life that forces the kind of time for us to connect, the time for us to indulge in self-care, the time for us to be with our kids. Uh, we do two things, uh, most importantly, that I think keep us on a, a like pretty straight and steady path towards exceptional relationship. And that is one, we have a date night every single Thursday night. It is a non-negotiable. Tonight is Thursday. We are going on a date night tonight. Love it. We've got Where a sitter going? lined up for the kids. Where are you going? Every Thursday between now and the end of time. We're going to a comedy club tonight. Oh, which, that's like, fun. We have not been to a comedy club in it's like forever, forever. But um, we're gonna we're gonna crash a comedy club tonight. But we we go out, we date each other every single week. We go on a date. So that's uh, number one. But two, we spend Sunday our afternoons on Sunday, planning out our week. So that in front-loading what's going to happen, the emotion that might come from last minute asking, do you mind picking up the kids or do you mind doing this? Is it misinterpreted as, I value the things on my calendar more than you value the things on your calendar? In the objectivity of a Sunday afternoon, using an app, I mean, it's not sexy, but I know who's working out first and second every single morning. I know what meals we're eating every single night. I know if my kids got an 1120 performance of Frozen in Auditorium 4, which one of us parents is going to leave work and head over there because of what the calendar suggests is available for us. And um, that like planning and front-loading process has afforded us this like there's a respect in doing it ahead of time that keeps us feeling like neither of us is um, making ourselves a priority over the other. It's a negotiation that's happening in an environment that appreciates the variables that you have to consider. Man, thank you for that. That's that's really valuable. You know, the bulk majority of people listening, they're building a business with a partner or they're both individual entrepreneurs. And, and so to have that kind of guideline is is massively valuable. So I want to talk about your new book here for a second. I've been dying to ask you about this, especially because of the perspective that you come from. Matter of fact, your new book, Get Out of Your Own Way, I think the subtitle is one of the coolest parts, A Skeptic's Guide to Growth and Fulfillment. Now, there was a time, and you said it a little bit earlier, that you thought personal development was mostly a, a posse of like tricksters and charlatans or you know, however you might phrase it. What is it now like being on the other side, especially as an author yourself now, of one of the most recognizable brands in the world encouraging people to lead a better life? Well, it's still, I mean, like it's, it's odd. <laughs> I mean, truly it's odd because we do odd work, right? Like we have this live morning show experience every day where we're letting people into our homes for 30 minutes and are being super honest and hopefully funny about just what it means to have four kids and a busy life and the ridiculousness of trying to still make out on the regular. We are you know, sitting in the same room I'm sitting in with you right now, recording our Rise Together podcast, where we are really honestly open about the stuff that's great in our relationship, but maybe more importantly for the audience who needs to connect with how normal it is to struggle, the hard stuff in relationship. And the the thing I think on the opposite side, it, the, the, the thing that I was skeptical of was the... like what sometimes felt like manufactured medicine being dispensed by people that sometimes come off as having figured everything out. And I think part of where our approach maybe is a little bit different and why I feel you know, more and more comfortable now than I ever have been, I am here to tell you that I have not figured it all out. I am here to tell you that I still struggle. I'm here to tell you that it's hard, that the pursuit of an exceptional life is going to come with it being difficult to stay connected to the people that don't also want an exceptional life. That it's going to come with compromises that are going to inevitably make the old version of you have to go away. And 
man, some of us are just, we're so connected to that old identity that it's hard acknowledging that if you want that future version of yourself, you have to say goodbye to the current one. Like that, that's a hard thing, right? But being in this role now where we're on in front of the camera or writing posts or doing podcasts or on stages as often as we are, the thing that I would encourage anyone who has any interest in pursuing anything that would be inside of the kind of impact space, the influence space... You're, by the way, I think anyone is an influencer who has decided to use their platform for the hope of influencing someone, whether it's to purchase their product or to join their you know, club or whatever it might be. But we try to start and end every single thing we do with what needs the audience has and how can we deliver a solution or some value to meet those needs, less a slick call to action, less something that might feel like marketing. The, you know, <laughs> we're doing this morning show on an everyday basis. We've got, you know, three weekly podcasts. They are like this one, free, valuable content. We have like, if if we are selling something, we have a great journal that we sell. But for the people who don't want to spend the money to buy the journal, we've made a complete podcast episode that would allow you to do the exact same process inside of a notebook because the process is the thing that we're trying to sell, not the actual hard good. We're so con- convinced that the things that we're creating will actually deliver value because they have to our own lives created that value that if we can just get you to get into the rhythm of the habit, to get into the rhythm of the routine, that's where the value will come. And in having been the recipient of that value, then maybe one day you'll say, do you have anything that you sell? You know, is there something... But sorry, that was like a long way to answer a question that you asked a long time ago. Uh, The biggest thing for me is you have to stay authentic and honest with who you are. Not someone you think you need to be for someone else. Not someone you even frankly think that they want or need. What people want, what people need in any form of influence is to feel like they are seeing who you are and see just a little bit of themselves in the honesty of your story that makes them through the empathy of that conversation connect. I feel like your book and and specifically the subject matter of it is going to help all of us do that better. And I want to commend you because it's having a conversation that I don't think men have enough. I know the book's for everybody, but it's a conversation that men don't have enough. And under this premise of we all, especially men, buy into this host of lies that keep us from reaching our potential. And we have these ingrained ideas that affect how we show up and operate. And we never stop to really question all of these powerful beliefs. It's almost like we're on autopilot. And you're basically causing us to, forcing us to have that conversation, to examine some of these lies and beliefs that hold us back. What are the most common ones that you've seen now that you work with so many people that we're probably not even noticing in ourselves that are stopping us from living the life that we want to live? Well, I... I tried to write them in chapter form. I mean, the, the, the headline was, of course, I was drawing on my own personal experience, but I was also drawing on the experience of listening to this community tell me, here are the things that I'm struggling with. I mean, the introductory chapter is about my belief that self-help was for broken people. That was, that's the lie that I'm unpacking first because even reading a book like the one I've written would require you in some way to push past the gag reflex of thinking that needing help or personal development or self-help, in fact, is only for broken people. It's for people who just want to live a better life also. But the other lies, it's my work is who I am. I really struggled with this connection I had between my job title and my worthiness, my, my business card and my enoughness. The idea that things that have worked are the things that will work in this season of transition Every part of the corporate experience from the Walt Disney Company, as great a company as it was, as good as the people there were, the strength of those brands, all of that 17 years of experience does not translate perfectly into the entrepreneurial journey that I am inside of right now. And the mistake that I made when I first came into this pursuit with my wife was thinking that what happened there works here. And it does not. And I had to man fall on my face a few times to really understand that. The lie that a drink will make this better, a, a thing that I convinced myself of time and time again. I get really honest about this 
work to get past needing alcohol as a thing that would help me get through a, a day. Uh, the idea that everyone is thinking of, about what I'm doing, I can tell you I wasted a good two years before I made the decision to pursue what now is the calling and passion of my life because of worrying about what other people might think of me making a decision that did not make sense to them. And I can tell you, they were not thinking about me when I left. They are not thinking about me now. It is not an indictment on any of them. It is because they, like you who are listening, are human. We are all primarily concerned with ourselves. And if you are stopping yourself from tapping into the potential in your life because of worry of what other people will think, they're not thinking of you. Be free. Go live your life, right? And one of the things, I mean, I know just because of us both being in relationship with strong women, uh, I, I wrote a full chapter of uh, The Lie. If she does not need me, will she still want me? Oh, that's and, powerful. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and that's, a, that's a hard one because as the person who for the, the entirety of her entrepreneurial journey where she was growing a business, then would invest the capital of the business back into the business and then would make a little bit of money, then one year take a chance on something and have it not work out and not... you know, like My ability to be a backstop for the scaling of her business in some perverted way in my mind gave me a reason for why she was wanting to be with me. That when it was gone and the success of her books and her, and her conferences and everything else that came to, to pass... When she became the primary breadwinner in our family, that identity shift for me was jarring. And it triggered so many things insecurity-wise that, again, went back to like middle school and some girl that told me she didn't want to hang out with me after a dance. It didn't matter where it came from. It was still super real. And I dive into like, here's how I had to unpack it. Here are the conversations we had to have. Here's how I had to deconstruct this lie. Every person listening, you have an identity today that will change two years from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. And the like, one, the, the idea that the role, one of the lies is the role, my role in this relationship is constant, right? I, I thought I was playing a certain role for Rachel in a season that she needed. And the disconnected nature of how I was showing up was me getting in not just my way, but also hers. So anyway, there's 20 lies that in my belief of those lies, I was literally in my way, preventing myself from fully living into who I was put on this earth to be fully experiencing the fulfillment that I am able to now experience because of having disproven that lie or, or found the truth to that lie. And I'm excited about it, right? It was the hardest. This is professionally 26 years of professional work. This writing of a book was the absolute 100% hardest thing I've ever done, in part because of what felt like going to therapy for 20 chapters and being super, super honest about stuff that most people are not super, super honest about. I'm not proud of a lot of the stuff that I did in the stories that I'm telling, but this is the proudest thing I have ever created in my entire life. And I cannot wait for it to come out. Man, I'm, I think I'm equally as jacked as you are for this thing to come out and get in everybody's hands. I'm going to make it mandatory reading for all my mastermind members. I'm going to make it mandatory reading yes. for all my friends. Like, hey, if you want to hang out with Lori and I, you have to have read this book first because then you, you know, we know that you're working on this stuff. Like, That's how important of a book that I think this is going to be for everyone, not just men. I want to be super conscious of your time. But in 30 seconds or less... Speak to the one person who you're absolutely praying picks up this book that may skip it or walk by it on the bookshelf. I, I want this more than anything for the person who doesn't. And, and if you're listening to this podcast, more than likely you are a person who's already uh, like decided that you can have a, a life of your dreams, that you are worthy and worth the work that it will take to get from where you are to where you want to go. If there's a person who's listening that just isn't necessarily convinced that there is something in pursuing something more, that there isn't something available for them, or that in any way the idea of personal development or self-help doesn't return the dividends of the work that you put into it, 
I wrote this as much for the skeptic, the person who doesn't believe, as as for anybody, because I truly, truly believe. As much as there's lessons, I do think there's lessons for every single person. Anyone who reads this can be like, man, I relate to that. Of course, I relate to that. I really, I, I, I think the work that we're doing here in the company in general is different from the work that a lot of people in personal development are doing because they tend to be targeting people who've self-identified as being into, into personal development. Mm-hmm. So great for that like 5 or 10% of the population who have self-identified as being into it, the rest of the PD people will fight over that audience. And I'm instead going to try and go after the 90% of people that don't think themselves into it, probably because they've never been the beneficiary of it. I want to I be able to be maybe that first great experience, especially because I'm going to approach it with a little bit of humor and irreverence for having been a disbeliever myself just a couple years ago, Mike. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love it. Do you have a couple more minutes or do you have a hard stop right yeah. now? No, okay. I got a couple more minutes. Wonderful. Um, where can we find the book? So if you want to buy this book, like pre-order this book, there is a pre-order incentive in real time. If you go to getoutofyourownwaythebook.com, you pre-order the book from anywhere on any format, audio, I'm doing the audio myself or on a hard a hardcover you can hear the first 30 minutes of the book today. And that uh, first 30 minutes is the introduction is self-help for broken people, where I unpack the slide, tell the really, really hard story about Hawaii and all the things about how I got to that lowest place in my life to get the leverage, to get the motivation to find the peak. I love that because get out of your own way, the physical book, that'll be in hands in March of 2020, but you can literally listen to the first 30 minutes right now. We're going to put the link to that in the show notes. I want to throw out one more thing, if you will indulge me. Oh God, yes. We have a business conference called Rise Business. That is, if you are an entrepreneur, if you are a hustler, if you've got a side hustle, your business, even if you're in a corporate environment where you're trying to grow your career... We've pulled together a three-day business conference that I will argue has the best collection of talent Uh in the universe standing on the stage. It's my wife, Rachel Hollis, and I with Brendan Burchard, Ed Milet, uh, Tom Bilyeu, Chris Hogan, Trent Shelton, Marie Forleo, Amy Porterfield, Mally. There there is... There is a... Superstars. We're basically asking each of these experts to come in and on the discipline that they they have become the expert in to teach practical, tactical takeaways for people who are trying to build, scale their business. If you're interested, check out theholisco.com. Man, I don't shill like that, but I like this is one of those things that aren't very many tickets left. I know is going to be not just a transformation for someone's business, but a transformation for someone's life. I wholeheartedly encourage everybody to go to this event. I don't know if you know this or not. Lori's going for sure. I know that she's going. I'm super excited that she is. So Lori's going. I'm thinking about going. My only thing that's in the way is I have a mastermind that very same weekend, but it's not one I run. It's one I participate in. So I'm weighing, weighing, do I participate or do I come to the event? I got to say this. Here's the thing. Like I also, in the world of skepticism, was a person on the outside of believing in the power of a mastermind. And then a year and a month ago, I just got like the one year ago picture in my feed. I went on my first experience in a mastermind. I've now been three times. And it was 100% transformative. If you're listening to this, I know Chris and Lori have one. But like, if it's, if it's not theirs, find one. Yep. Because I, as a person who did not believe in the power of being immersed with like-minded people and the, the hacks, the breadcrumbs, the, the way that other people inside of this circle for me were able to point out the things that they stepped in so that I might not they they not not only did I get the my money's worth but the time because this is more frankly about time for me than it was about investment mm-hmm. the speed with which I was able to get from where I was to where I needed to be in this business right I was saying that Chris before we started we started in Austin in June of last year with four people we have now 51 human beings working in the company to go from 4 to 51 in a year the only way that that was possible 
was by surrounding ourselves with people who were smarter than we were, who had already done things that we are now doing, and how their wisdom in what to avoid in terms of traps or pitfalls was a thing that we could learn from just to, just to avoid them ourselves. Amen. So that's actually a good reason not only just to join a mastermind, but especially to get to the business event that you guys have coming up in Charlotte. Um, 100%. I don't want to let you go without asking about your foundation because we share such an ethos for giving and philanthropy. And I know it's very important to you. Do you have time to talk about your foundation? Yeah. you know, We haven't talked that much about it yet because it's only recently that it uh, has been formed. We formed the Hollis Foundation. We uh, told people at our last uh, uh, RISE event that in fact, 10% of our company proceeds are going to go into this foundation. The foundation is going to support three areas where we have had the most personal passion in our own personal philanthropy, and that is kids, specifically kids in care as people who were previously four-time foster parents and are adoptive parents who want to send love into a space that needs love. So women, and in particular, women who are coming out of crisis, whether it be addiction, prostitution, homelessness, and the military, uh, people who are currently serving veterans, the spouses of people who are veterans or currently deployed military. So we are going to, as a community, tell people inside of our social spaces about the charities that we're picking on a regular basis. We'll start receiving grant submission requests. And as uh, the grants qualify and fit into our buckets, we're going to be able to have the community tell us how they want us to give the money that, frankly, they are helping generate by supporting the work that we do uh, back. We, we've got a nice nest egg, and we're getting ready to start announcing some of the uh, partners that we have. And it's like in a world where, like, the what's your why? What's your why? What's your why? Like, when impact becomes your why, when impact becomes your why, you're going to have a good day. And when impact becoming your why can also lead to impacting other people, especially in distress situations, impacting other people, especially in situations like in the military, people have sacrificed, have given themselves to a greater cause. Man, that why is a reason to get up in the morning, get up, get your feet on the ground and run to work. Amen. Listen, I'm such a supporter of people who are not born on third base and are struggling for a break. And I'm such a supporter of the sacrifice that the men and women and their families have made in military and everything that you guys represent. This is not planned. This is spur of the moment. But Lori and I would love to give you guys $5,000 towards your charity because we just are so grateful that individuals like yourselves show up the way that you do and you leverage your audience for change and for impact. So, um, bless you, man. We'll, That's so we'll, rad. we'll connect Thank outside you. of here, uh, and, and we we're going to use that. And we're going to use that well. Yeah, uh, I know you guys are. I know you guys are. So, um, listen, a huge thank you for being on the show. I will make sure that everybody uh, has the link to go out and grab your brand new book, "Get Out of Your Own Way." Uh, remember, you guys can listen to the first thirty minutes of the book by going to getoutofyourownway.com. Is that right? Get out of your own way, thebook.com. The book. Get out of your own way, thebook.com. Catch the first 30 minutes right there. Dave, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. And I can't wait to connect some more. Right on, Chris. It has been so good to hang out. Thank you. And hopefully, listeners, you got something great out of this. Go out and have a fantastic, fantastic day. If you like this episode, put it up in your social and tag us both so that I can send back some love too. I just, I love to see when somebody's got something good out of an episode like this. Keep doing this great work, Chris. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, Cheers to your success.